Hey, praise God. So glad to declare that truth with you today, City Rev Church, that no matter what's going on, our Father, our Heavenly Father, who's good, who loves us, who is all-powerful, almighty, is taking care of His children, no matter what is swirling around us. And so let's just go to our Heavenly Father in prayer right now in this moment. God, we just so thank You that it doesn't matter what our circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. We thank you that we know we are secure in our Father's hands. You're protecting us, watching over us, and that there's nothing more powerful than you, Heavenly Father. So there's nothing that, that can't come into our lives without your watch. And we know that you're also loving. You care for us. Thank you, God. Thank you. So we can banish all fear and rest that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Thank you for that. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so glad that you have joined us online today. We are going to jump right into a time of Bible study uh, together in this moment. And I was just thinking a couple days ago, um, we have a, uh, a movie night in our home. Rebecca and I have some time with the kids. Uh, every Sunday night is our movie night, and um, we usually start on the floor with a picnic, and after we finish the food, we all kind of end up uh, on the couch, and, and um, just a, a couple weeks ago, I'm sitting on the couch, and my daughter... Scarlett, she's uh, in first grade, and she's kind of snuggled next to me, and um, it gets to kind of an intense, suspenseful part of this movie, and um, it's, it, it's Monsters, Inc., so you know, I mean, super intense, and um, I, I mean, I was getting scared myself, um, G-rated, and um, she starts to squirm a little bit, and I think it's the point, if you've ever seen the movie, where the monster Sully is looking for this little girl uh, named Boo, and he cannot find the little girl, and it's getting suspenseful, like, what happened to her? And um, she starts to squirm, and, she, and Scarlett looks up at me, and just with a lots of concern, and says, Daddy, what's going to happen? Are they going to be able to find Boo? And it, it took everything in me not to just look at her and say, I think Boo's dead forever. I mean, it's, this is, I mean, it's bad. You know, I had to control myself and say, no, no, it's okay, sweetheart. They're going to find Boo. Everything's going to be fine. They're going to find this, this little girl. And she goes, okay. And she looks back at the movie and keeps watching. And, and you know, I could tell, like, you know, her, her pulse was still ra- racing because it was intense. But since she knew that it was going to turn out all right, you know, it, it helped her relax a little bit. And so I found that with suspenseful movies that, that I've watched uh, myself is, you know, with a good suspenseful movie, every single time it's action-packed, you're on the edge of your seat, you're watching, and, um, it, and it always might be intense. And sometimes I find myself, why am I so stressed out? I've watched this movie a hundred times. I know how it's going to turn out, but a good suspense, suspenseful movie can get your blood racing like that. But nothing like the first time you watch it. Because you don't know how it's going to end. And the other times, you might still be leaning forward, just kind of on the edge of your seat, but you know the end of the story. And once you know the end of the story, you can relax a little bit. And you know what? What's so interesting in the Bible is it, it acknowledges that we go through suspenseful seasons of our life. It acknowledges that the, the Scripture, God, through the Bible, acknowledges that we walk through adventures. 
But what the Bible does is it tells us the end of the story. It tells us how the whole thing ends, and it tells us that we should draw comfort and peace through knowing the end of the story. And so here's what I'd like to do with our time together today. I'd like to take you to the very, very end of the story. It's the end of all of God's creation, which we then find out is really just the beginning. And it's the end of all things. It's, it's Revelation 21 and 22. We're gonna, I want to read some scriptures. And I, I want you to hear a, a lot of this scripture. I just want to read it over you because this is pure truth with no additives in it. And right now in a season where there's just so many places to find information, sometimes it's hard to know where to find truth and what what you can trust. So in this season, I just want to read these chunks of these two chapters to you to wash over you pure truth right from the Bible because that is what our thirsting souls need. I want you to hear the end because it's a happy ending. Here's what it says in Revelation 21. We're going to pick it up here in verse 1. This is, this is from the last two chapters of the whole Bible. Here's what it says. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw, this is Apostle, the Apostle John, one of the disciples of Jesus, God is showing him how things end, and this is in a vision. He says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city. Now, wherever you are right now, I want you to say city with me on three. One, two, three, city. Okay, there was a person in Miami Lakes watching this sitting on the couch, and they didn't say it, so now all of us have to say it over again, okay? So we're going to say it. On three. One, two, three, city. Okay, good job. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, watch this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is so beautiful. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now pause with me there for for just a minute. Notice what uh, John sees. He sees a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know how you picture heaven one day. Maybe you just picture like this uh, bright white light that you kind of enter into and it kind of washes everything out and there's just kind of this this bright white abyss that you're surrounded by. You can't make out any shapes and it's just kind of this vague kind of bright land and you're sitting on clouds maybe and playing harps and white robes. But that's not how heaven is described in the Bible. That is a cultural manifestation of heaven. That's not what the Bible describes as heaven. It says there will be a new heavens and a new earth that this heavens and earth has passed away. And it's going to be a heaven and earth. It's going to be creation 
2.0. In other words, when one day, when we're spending eternity in heaven, when God's children are spending eternity in heaven, we're not entering into a realm that is less real, less vivid than this one. If anything, it is more real, more vivid. We would feel more alive in that realm. The old things have, have passed away and the new things have come. Notice it says the old former things are things like tears that will now be wiped from eyes and, and death and mourning and crying and pain. All that has washed away. It will be 2.0. Because what do we know about the heavens and earth now? This world that we live in now? Well, when God first made it, this is going back to the other end of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. When God made it, he looked at everything he made and he says, it's very very good. And what happened at that point was then sin entered the world. Rebellion entered into the hearts of human beings. Uh, Humans, they disobeyed and broke God's commands and rebelled against an almighty God. And rebellion entered all of our hearts. We all start from a place of rebellion. Now, um, my wife, Rebecca, and I, our youngest is our little baby, Hope. She's 11 months now. I can't believe it. She's already 11 months, almost a year old. And she has just been such a delight as a baby. She is so sweet. She has smiles and giggles all the time. We just feel so blessed with her sweet, joyous little personality. And I just live for the smile that breaks across her face and this little dimple here on her right cheek. And she's just so sweet. And right now, she's been eating solids now for a couple months, and her favorite food is a strawberry. We just cut the stem off, and we put it right there, and she just loves eating a strawberry. And so when she sees us get out the little box of strawberries and we're cutting off the stem, when she sees that in her hand, she starts you know, squeaking and squealing and grunting and pointing, and, and she just, she's just reaching for it, and um, she's urgent. Sometimes she's cry- if it's not fast enough, now she's crying and she's screaming. And as sweet as little baby Hope is, she, when she sees that strawberry and she wants it, she can think of nothing else. And, and of course, what is that? She, she is programmed, like all of us are programmed, to be wired for ourselves. We start as, a self, as self-centered beings. And of course, we have grace for her being a little baby, but we're all wired as self-centered beings. We actually have to be trained to be selfless. That's actually how we have to be trained as, as human beings. We all start as self-centered. And, and how we should be is God-centered. But when sin entered the world, every one of us, now we, we've got rebellion in our hearts. We make ourselves our own God rather than almighty God. And so with that, when that entered into the world, there is a curse now upon the world. And now we, we have pain and brokenness. Pain and brokenness because of the, the own rebellion in our hearts. There's pain and brokenness in our, in our world. There's things like viruses and earthquakes and storms. And we are in a, a, a broken world. And God's ultimate intention is to recreate the heavens and the earth. And in the meantime, he's trying to save us out of our brokenness. And he sent Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus died on the cross. He paid for all of our rebellion. And the Bible says all of creation is groaning for that day when it will be made new. Here's the end of the story. 
God is making a new heavens and an earth. And I wanted you to notice it's described heaven. It comes down to this new earth, the city of God. And I want you to notice that it's called a city. And I want you to see how this city is described. It's described as a beautiful place where all of the tears are wiped away. There's no pain. There's no crying. There's no hurt. There's no mourning. There's no grief. There's no death. There's no more bad. It's all been made right. It's all been made just. Everything is just how God intended. I mean, isn't that what our souls so deeply long for? Here's what I want you to know. The first thing, just from these first couple verses, in the city of God, one day in the city of God, heaven, there'll be righteousness and justice. He's making all things new. There'll be newness. It's beautiful. It's really what our souls are longing for. That's the end of the story. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to read a couple big chunks of this passage. I just want you to hear this. Oh, hear this imagery. Let me just wash this over you. I want you to jump down to verse 10. Here's what it says. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city, city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. That's about 1,400 miles, by the way. 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And the wall, listen to this description, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth canner. Carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. I I don't know about you, but I end, (laughs) as beautiful as that description is, I think I end that passage with more questions than I have answers. Um, what beautiful text, and you can see that's where we get some of the statements like having pearly gates and having streets of gold. And so such a beautiful description. Here's what I, I just want you to take out of this. I want you just to hear this, but here's what I want you to take out of this text. The city of God, well, first we learn that he's made everything right in the city of God. But here's also what we know, that in the city of God we see beauty. We see artistry. We see just the all, I mean, these walls are, are just encrusted with gemstones or made out of gemstones. We see just this wealth and abundance. It's just, it's all the things that, that we long for. We long to see beauty. We long to see these things, these, this thriving, this abundance. And all of these things, this is how 
this is the end of the story. This is what the city of God is like. Let me read you one more description. I, I just want to read this over you. This is picking it up in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Here's what's so beautiful about this passage. Did you notice that all about the healing of the nations? Everyone, there will be perfect healing, perfect health in the city of God. And in the city of God one day, here's the, the best part, there's, there's no sun, there's no temple. Why? Because the presence of God is there and everyone sees God face to face, something we're told in the Old Testament that if you were to see God face to face, you would die. Why? Because, because of our impurity, our rebellion in our hearts. But at this point, it's all washed away. We're seeing God face to face. We're living lives of worship. For all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, who's been washed clean by Jesus, you will spend eternity exploring his creation, spend eternity in perfect relationship and everything in worship to God. Everything is reunited with God. Here's what this beautiful text, here's the end of the story. In the city of God, everything's made right. Everything's made new. There's beauty, there's abundance, there's artistry, there's healing, there's health, there's thriving, and there's perfect worship to God. I wanted you to see the end of this story because we can draw strength from this in our present circumstances. For starters, here's the first thing we know after reading this. First of all, we know this is not heaven. A lot of times I wonder if in our hearts um, we're, we're expecting to try and make the best possible life we can have now as if this is all we have. We're trying to make this heaven, but this isn't heaven. Heaven is waiting for us one day and it's beyond what we can imagine. In fact, let me read you what the Bible actually does say. This is in 1 Peter chapter 4, 12. Look what it says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The Bible actually tells us is don't be surprised when trials of all different kinds, whether it's economic trials, health trials, pandemic trials, don't be surprised. This is not heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I did not begin 2020 expecting to be facing something like this. I did, definitely did not 
enter in expecting this. I had a lot of things expecting. In fact, as Pastor Josh talked about a, a few moments ago, today, this weekend, is our first weekend officially operating as City Rev Church, which is so exciting. But I got to be honest, this is not what I imagined months ago when we were thinking about our first weekend together as City Rev Church. This is uh, definitely a surprise for me, but you know what? It's okay. And even though this was going to be our grand opening, um, we're going to push off our grand opening for the first time we all come together and meet together again at the end, after all of this. Man, that first time we come together and meet as our official grand opening of City Rev Church, that is going to be a party, and I am looking forward to that in a couple weeks or a couple months or whenever. I am looking forward to that official grand opening. But this is not what I expected our first weekend as City Rev Church to look like. And so you know what? What, what we learn from this is, is a reminder. This is not heaven. That's the first thing we know. This is not heaven. We shouldn't be surprised when this doesn't operate like heaven. We know this isn't heaven. Here's the second thing we know. We know the end of the story. The end of the story is a happy ending one day. I'm not reading this to you because I think that the end of the world is happening. We don't know when the end of the world is. In fact, Jesus said it's a mystery. We can't predict it. It will surprise us. It could be by the end of the night. It could be next year. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know when the end is, but we know that the end is an incredible, happy ending. And so that is helpful for us now. Listen to what it says in Romans 8.18. For I consider, this is Paul talking, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What we know that, that is revealed, we know the end of the story. You know, the bottom line is, we're going to spend a handful of decades in this life. Maybe it's seven decades, eight decades, maybe nine decades, maybe more, maybe less. We'll spend a handful of decades, but your story, for those who are in Christ, your story extends into eternity. That means that your life, will, you will live for trillions and trillions and trillions of millennia, and that will just be chapter one. It extends into eternity. This life we have now is barely the preface to your life. And so even though we're going to go through trials now, we know the end of the story and the trials can't compare to the end. The end is a happy ending. We know this isn't heaven. That's number one. Number two, we know the end of the story. And here's the third thing. And each of these get even more encouraging as we go. We know God's agenda in the meantime. This is a verse that we've been talking about a, a lot in this season. I just want to remind you of a, of a famous verse. This is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If you are a child of God, your heavenly Father will see to it that this season will work out for your good. I don't know what the next couple days, next couple weeks, next couple months, next couple years have in store, 
But this is a guarantee in Scripture. If you are a child of God, it is a guarantee this works out for your good. Now, you might be saying, well, how do I know if I'm a, a, a child of God? Is it because I just I, I align myself with Christianity? Yeah, I call myself a Christian, so I must be a, a child of God. Nope, that's not how you become a child of God. Well, maybe you say, oh, well, it's if you go to church, right? You have to act like a Christian, and if you do enough Christian things, then, you know, he says you're, you're his child. Nope, it's not going to church and saying your prayers. Well, you just have to be, in general, like a, a good person, right? I just have to, the good has to outweigh the bad. I just have to be a good person. Nope. No, that's not how you become a child of God. Or maybe you say, oh, well, I mean, it's just, you know, being fervent. I mean, it's just as long as I'm an authentic, fervent. I mean, well, I'm sincere. That's how you become a child of God. Or maybe everyone's a child of God. No, that's not what the Bible says. Remember, we have rebellion in our hearts. And to be adopted as a child of God, that adoption is expensive. Ask anyone who's gone through the process of adoption. It, it is expensive if we're adopted, there's a great price for our adoption. The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, the treasure of heaven. Jesus had to die to pay for our sins and rebellion for us to be adopted. It's not about acting more like a Christian or praying a little bit more and going to church. To become adopted, it's simply saying, I can't I can't do enough to be accepted. I just have to put my faith. It's got to be Jesus. But here's the good news. You could be adopted today. In fact, in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive the gift of adoption, become a child of God. And when that happens, you know he is working every circumstance together for good for his children. You know, I came across a, a meme. There's so many memes going around right now about the coronavirus. But I came across this meme that I particularly loved. And the title said, year 2030, college student learns about the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. And it says he calls home and says, hey, dad, tell me about, remind me what happened in 2020 when I was a kid about the coronavirus. And the dad uh, on the other end of the phone says, oh, yeah, man, those were tough times. We all had to, couldn't go to work. Went to the grocery and, and there was, you couldn't find stuff you wanted at the grocery and people were, were getting sick. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety and you couldn't go to school. I mean, it was, those were tough times. He says, don't you remember that, son? You were, you were nine or 10 years old. Don't you remember? And I love this. The college student says, you know what? All I remember in that season is I couldn't go to school, so I was homeschooled. But I actually got more sleep because I wasn't staying up to all hours than I do in homework. I didn't have to get up early to, to get to the bus on time, so I got good sleep. I remember sitting around and playing board games and playing in the backyard as a family. In fact, we ate dinners and, and meals together as a family for a change. He says, I remember we spent so much more time together. In fact, those were some of the happiest memories of my childhood. You know, it's funny. How we, there's some question marks right now. There's some question marks about the economy. But you know, your greatest treasure, your greatest treasures are your family. And in this season, you've got more time with those treasures than any other time in your life. Christian, God is working all this together for our good. That is a guarantee. By knowing the end of the story, what can we know? We know this is not heaven. 
We, we know the end of our, our story personally. We know God's agenda in the meantime. He's working it together for good. And here's the last thing. We know our mission. In the moment when the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Uh, imagine getting to hear that conversation. I, I must have been amazing. What Jesus did, it's recorded in Matthew, is he said, okay, let me model a prayer. Pray like this. And you, you may be, have heard this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he says this. Let me read it to you, Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Look at this. On earth as it is in heaven. What is our longing? What is our desire? Our desire is that what's happening in the cities on earth reflect a little bit more what will one day be the reality of the city of God in heaven. This is never going to be, this is never going to be heaven. But we know what our mission is, is that we might see our city look a little bit more like God's d design. In fact, what we know is the power of the gospel has the power to transform it. We've seen that in our lives. We've seen our lives completely transformed, that the power of the gospel might absolutely transform our city. And so City Rev Church, what our mission is, is to reveal Jesus Christ and who he is as the Savior of the world. Reveal the glorious message of the gospel and reveal who Jesus is that our city might be revolutionized so that we may see our city look like the city of God. Tears wiped away. The things that call, cause mourning and pain and brokenness that they're put away, that righteousness and justice rule, that things are made new, that a new chapter turns on our city, that we might see a city full of beauty and artistry, a city full of abundance and thriving, that we might see a city full of healing, that we might see a city reconciled and worshiping its creator. That's what we want to see in our city. City Rev Church, here's our mission that we might reveal who Jesus is, that our city might be revolutionized. I want to just end with a, a story. It's from uh, 1857. It's an incredible moment of, of history. And it starts with a man by the name of Jeremiah Lanfear. And he lived in New York City. He, was a, 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 he served at his church. He was a volunteer at his church. And he decided he wanted to start a prayer meeting. And so at noon, he was going to do it once a week. At noon, he was going to just open up the church. And anyone who wanted to come, he'd volunteer and he'd be there from noon to one. And so he posted up a sign, come at your lunch break. Any businessman, he's right there on, on Fulton Street in the financial district of New York City. And he said, whoever wants to come can come. And so the first week, he put the sign out, opened the door, and at noon, he walked up the stairs into this upper room and began to pray. And um, he's all by himself for the first 10 minutes. 15 minutes went by, no one came. 20 minutes went by, no one came. 30 minutes, he started to hear a creak. Someone was walking up the steps. Someone joined him. A few minutes later, another person, and then another person. And by the end of that first uh, time, there was six people, and they prayed, and he was happy, and he says, okay, we'll, we'll pick it up here next week. The next week, 20 people came, and he was encouraged. He's like, wow, that's incredible. 20 people, they prayed for an hour from 12 to 1, and then the next week, 40 people came, 
But on that third week, that's not the only thing that happened. Uh, what happened at, on week three was what's known as the financial panic of 1857. The stock market crashed. Banks closed. Businesses started to go under overnight. And the, the word spread over the telegraph, Morse code, all over the country. And it was the worst financial disaster in U.S. history up until that point. And overnight, prayer started to flood in that place. It says that with, within days, 3,000 people came to that church to pray. It overflowed the building. Prayer started happening every day. It started happening then in theaters and, and in every single meeting place all around the city. And it, it kept escalating more and more prayer in New York City. And there are some reports that estimate that it, it hit a point where at every single hour of the day and night, somewhere in New York City, prayer was happening. These prayer meetings started spreading. But then it started spreading through other cities around the country. It started spreading to, to Philadelphia, and then Cincinnati, and then Indianapolis, and then down to St. Louis, and up into New England, and down into the south. And it, it started spreading like a tidal wave, coast to coast. You could travel from one side of the country to the other and hit a prayer meeting all over. It was sweeping the land. But let me tell you what's happening at these prayer meetings. It was unbelievable. It wasn't just prayer. It wasn't just begging God to fix their finances. People were coming to faith in these prayer meetings. There was no preaching. There were no devotionals. There were no evangelists. It was just prayer. And God decided to use that to bring people to faith. Like, let me give you an example. There was in Kalamazoo, Michigan, there was one meeting, and an eyewitness put it like this. They said, someone just got up with a prayer request, and they said, please pray for my husband. I've been, I've been praying for him for so many years that he would put his faith in Jesus, that his name might be written in the Lamb's book of life so I could spend eternity with him in heaven. Please pray for my husband. And as the person stepped down after receiving that note with that prayer request, a man just stood up at that meeting and he said, that must be my wife who's written that because I know she's been praying for me for years and I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him today. And he sat down and then another man sat up and said, no, I, I believe that that is my wife who wrote that because I need to come to faith today. I don't know Jesus and I know she's been praying, praying for me. And then another man stood up and said that. And they said in that day, 500 people at that meeting came to faith. They estimate that at the height of what they call the Fulton Street Revival that swept the nation, at the height of it, 50,000 people a week were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There was one year time, that one estimate, that one million people came to faith, which in 1857, that's 3% of the entire population of the United States. One million people in one year came to faith from that move of God. It spilled over into other countries. It laid the groundwork for other revivals like one in Wales many years later. They're, they're so, God used that so powerfully. And what happened? He just seated one volunteer to begin praying. And then God took a, right before a crisis hit. And then when that crisis hit, he turned it around for good and made a sweeping movement of revival. You know, at the beginning of 2020, several of us pastors here at our church, what we were leading up to, it was in December, it was right around our Christmas services, 
And we just felt impressed that we as a church needed to enter into this year with prayer and fasting. And so we set aside a time for prayer and fasting starting at the very beginning of the year. And a couple days later, as January 1st of 2020 was approaching, I heard from another pastor that he was feeling the same thing here in South Florida, another church involved with uh, Church United, the Unity Movement. And he says, look, I'm feeling like we need to get pastors together from churches all over South Florida and begin 40 days of praying and begging God for revival. And I said, man, that's what's in our hearts here at our church. And he said, that's in his church. So so we started, we got a, a text message chain from lead pastors from dozens of churches, and we began January 1st for 40 days. We stopped at 3.14 every day, and if at all possible, got down on our knees, because that's what it says in Ephesians 3.14. Paul says, I get on my knees, and I'm asking for an exceedingly and abundantly more in a movement of God. And so for the first 40 days, we got down on our knees all across South Florida, churches, dozens of churches, praying that this might be a year of revival. You know what's amazing? <laughs> March 14th, so 3:14 was the first it was Saturday night, it was our first services where we were online only. I almost wonder if God's saying it's all according to my plan. Church, you realize Nothing happens outside of your father's plan. He has a plan. It's guaranteed for your good, and it's all according to his plan that leads to a happy ending. It leads to him making all things right. It's all part of his rescue mission to see souls coming to faith, to see more lost sheep brought into the pen, to see see prodigal sons and daughters get adopted in so that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and they spend trillions of eras in eternity in heaven. Don't you lose hope. Don't you lose faith for a second Christian. Doesn't matter that our, we are in uncertain times. We have a sovereign God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's at work. Let's just wait to see the incredible good He is doing in our midst. And so here's what that means, City Rev Church. This is our moment. We were placed here in our city for such a time as this. And so if all the world is given into fear, if all your neighbors are fearing, in the face of fear, you are going to have hope. In the face of anxiety, you are going to have peace. In the face of hoarding and greediness, you're going to have generosity. And in the face of uncertainty, you are going to know who is in control. It is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus, who's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He sits safely on the throne no matter what is happening in this present time. You can have hope because you know your Father's in control and you know He is good. Let's just join in the mission of how he is bringing South Florida. He's transforming it. He's transforming it by the power of the gospel even as we speak. But here's what I I believe. I believe there's some watching right now. Maybe you're watching on your phone, on your TV, on your tablet, on your laptop, in your car, in your living room. I I don't know where you're at, but I know, I believe there are many watching right now. (laughs) Today is your day. It's your moment. I believe after this day, your name will be written in that book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And your eternity is secure. Heaven is a guarantee because you've been adopted into the family. 
You say, how could I be adopted? I'll try to be a good Christian. It's not about that. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not worthy of it, and I'm not either. It's a free gift. He said, it sounds too good to be true. That's why it takes faith. Your heavenly Father loves you so much, he sent Jesus Christ to die for you, to pay for all your sins, all your guilt, all your shame, all your past, all the things in your present, all the things in your future. He's going to wash you clean. And at the cost of the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he wants to adopt you into, his, into your family. He wants to adopt you into his family. Just simply put your faith in Jesus. Today, just, I, I want to lead you in a prayer where you're just going to look to God and say, God, I, I'm not trusting in myself to get to heaven. I can't be good enough. I can't be religious enough. I can't be Christian enough. It's not about that. It's just simply what Jesus did for me. I believe Jesus, by the work of Jesus, I am saved. I'm putting my faith in Jesus alone. He's going to wash you clean and then because we're not perfect, then the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to go to work inside of you, transforming you from the inside out. You're going to become a new creation. You're going to get a fresh start. You're going to be born again. Just receive salvation. Be adopted into the family of God today. You ready to take that step? I want to lead you in a prayer. Just bow your head wherever you're at. And I'm going to say these words. I want you to repeat these words after me. Just bow your heads right there. or Whatever place you're sitting, whatever city, whatever country, wherever you're at in the world, bow your head. And if you want to find salvation, just pray this. Say, Jesus, thank you that you died to pay for my sins. Jesus, I, I believe that your death is what washes me clean. You paid the punishment in my place. I believe I am completely forgiven, past, present, and future. I'm brand new. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. And because of Jesus, heaven is a guarantee. I am your child. I surrender to you, my King. In Jesus' name, amen.